This is a Media Lab podcast. Dave, you look exhausted right now, but can you help me find something that I have misplaced? Yeah, something small, like a... I don't know, it's hard to look for things in this well, mess. Well, I mean, in relation to what it came off of, sure. Uh, I've somehow misplaced the machine's head. It is... It has to be in this house somewhere. How is that possible? The thing is fucking huge. Where have you been looking? Basically, just around this microphone setup, uh, so that I could record my thoughts at the same time. So not super far. Have you, have you looked at that weird dead tree that's in the back of your room? There's a oh giant. Is it? Is it bleeding? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know these Christmas gifts that you get all the time that you just put into like your dark corner and never look at again. You know how it goes. Yeah. Maybe maybe it is there. Let me just reach my hand in. Oh god. Oh. Oh. oh no. Well. Here it is. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine. Cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen, this monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films the machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This, this is, is Kyle, Kyle and Dave versus the machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine. My name is Kyle. I'm Dave. And I'm the Machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine forces us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. Uh, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. I will say that it seems hell-bent, and I use that word very specifically, hell-bent, on us watching movies from the year 1999. And today, we're going to be watching the movie... Sleepy Hollow. I am Constable Ichabod Crane, sent from New York to investigate murder in Sleepy Hollow. How much of your superiors explained to you? Only that the three were slain in open ground, their heads severed from their bodies. Taken by the headless horseman, taken back to hell. He rode a giant black steed to look at him, Major Bloodwing Cold. Even today, the Western Woods is a haunted place where brave men will not venture. We have murders in New York without benefit of ghouls and goblins. Dave, I think that there's three things we have to figure out here at the very beginning. I want to know, first of all, your relationship with the Sleepy Hollow story. Well, we, we dated in high school and then we broke. <laughs> no, um. Never phone me back, the bastard. Always would have tried to send me stuff in paraffin wax. I can't read that. I do. I do wish I had a seal. That'd be cool. I uh, definitely have watched this movie and liked it. That's my memory of it. I haven't watched it in many, many years. Definitely remember the Disney animated version of it. Yeah. With the uh, foolish looking Ichabod Crane. And I feel like I want to say I read the book, but I couldn't tell you if it's a poem, it's prose. I, I couldn't. I don't know. But it's it old. Is, it is prose. If you want to, it is absolutely in the public domain. You can read it for free yeah. right now yeah. on any of your 
book reading software. I do have it downloaded, have not read it. I will be the first one to admit, exactly. but I do have it exactly. <laughs> on, on my on my iPhone. I could literally read it at any time, but have chosen not to. So I don't know what the original source material feels like. Uh, I like you have seen the Disney animated thing It is part of a movie called Ichabod and Mr. Toad, where they shoved like those two stories, the wind in the willows and then the Ichabod crane or the sleepy hollow story together Perfect fusion. I don't know why I wasn't written that Weird way. fusion. And that's always how I kind of envision Ichabod cranes being a very tall, lanky, huge Adam's apple type of figure. So having it being a very beautiful Johnny Depp is going to be probably a weird thing to kind of <laughs> wrap my head around. That's beautiful. So I have not seen this movie here before, though. That being said, I have seen a lot of Tim Burton films. I want to know what your impression is, what your relationship with Tim Burton's filmography is. Topically, I think he peaked around this era and then mm. uh, he's really fallen off and I don't watch Tim Burton films anymore. I liked, I mean, starting for me with Batman, which is an incredible classic. And then I liked everything they did that was dark and twisted. And then I, I just started tipping off and then the Alice in Wonderland crap is crap. And then uh, yeah. I think he did something else. I don't care. I just don't care anymore. Yeah. So that's my relationship. Will, well, we'll probably get into more in this when we tell a bit of our, our backstory to this film. Yes, Alice in Wonderland was really where I started to fall off. It was one of the worst movies I've seen in theaters, in my opinion. I really dislike that movie. Why don't you eat me? But I, I will say that up until this point, like I was super into Tim Burton. I mean, I'm, I still recently watched, rewatched Edward Scissorhands. Loved it. I watched Peabody's Big Adventure, like that a whole lot too. Uh, I love A Nightmare Before Christmas. He did not actually do anything besides producing that movie, but still his influence, I feel, is like felt in that film. And uh, Ed Wood happens to be one of my favorite films of all time. I would say it's probably in my top 100, probably. I like it that much. So there, there are elements of what he has done that I have been deeply passionate about. And yes, I would say that his last five or six movies have done kind of nothing for me, which is too bad. I, I, maybe he'll find his way again. There have been other directors who have had like a weird like middle period and then kind, kind of come back to, to prominence. You know who didn't need that? Stanley Kubrick, apparently. Yeah, he just decided to take 18 <laughs> years off between films. Why not? Yeah. Why can't you do that, Tim Burton? Yeah, and then just come back with a winner. Well, we don't need this yeah, many come losers. come back with a, with a twisted tree with a weird mask and then we're fine. We're good. Uh, let's do this. Let me go and thank some of our sponsors. And then when we come back, we'll be spooky and white face paint talking about Sleepy Hollow. Hey there, everyone. Just Kyle breaking into the episode here once again to tell you about some of the lovely people who keep this show going. It is the middle of October. It's that spooky, scary time of the season. October surprises abound. And we are here to hopefully provide a little bit of entertainment for you in these spooky, spooky times. Because it's Halloween I'm talking about and no other world events. Of course, I need to tell you that Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by The Shared Mic. Listen, everyone has a story. The narratives of Edmontonians provide a rich patchwork of experiences that make our city a beautiful place to call home. A local podcast by age-friendly Edmonton, the Shared Mic Conversations for the Ages, is providing a platform for Edmontonians of different ages and backgrounds to share their stories. 
Listen to riveting intergenerational conversations on topics including cultivating friendships, building careers, exploring virtual theater, volunteerism, and more. The Shared Mic is out now. It launched back on October 5th and is available on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Shared Mic is brought to you by the Edmonton Seniors Coordinating Council and the City of Edmonton. This week, Callan Dave vs. Machine is also brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network. So let's go and listen to one of our other great shows. Hi, y'all. This is Ryan from the Eat More Barbecue Podcast. I'm just a guy that loves slow-smoked southern barbecue. I love eating it, I love cooking it, and I really love talking about it. I want to help grow the barbecue culture here in Alberta. This podcast is a great way for me to share the stories of the people involved in the barbecue community, like restaurant operators and competitive barbecue cooks. Along the way, I also visit with other folks like farmers, distilleries, breweries, and anything of interest to barbecue people. A new episode comes out every Wednesday wherever you listen to podcasts. Keep on smoking, folks. Well, how was that for you, Dave? Uh, yeah. In, a, in, in the most non-spoilery yeah, way, why don't you tell me it. what your thoughts were? It was a Tim Burton film. We could just put a period <laughs> on that. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I got, I got sucked into it. There's some twists and turns, and I thought uh, it was kind of weird to get into at the beginning. It's been a while since I watched something uh, so Tim Burton-y. Sure, yeah, yeah. So I forgot just how Tim Burton, Tim Burton can be. Do you know what I mean? Like I never know what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I guess my argument would be is that this is such a weirdly styled movie. Where absolutely, yeah, the Tim Burton influence is there with like the twisted corners and definitely like the costuming and the and the makeup that is all like Tim Burton's aesthetic. I think he is stealing actually pretty heavily as far as like the blood and stuff goes because that is not necessarily a very Tim Burtony thing. Like the the gushing of blood that we have in this movie, which is definitely meant to be horrific, I think, and also somewhat funny in, in a couple of different scenes. It very is reminiscent for me to the 1950s Hammer horror series. Hammer was a UK studio, and they basically remade all of the universal horror films. So they did Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy, et cetera, et cetera, but like really amped up the gore because you could start to do that in the 1950s and that's always what it was to me it's like oh this blood is very fake it's like super bright red like this is not what blood actually looks like or behaves yeah. like uh-huh. Kyle, Kyle is an expert of human blood and its viscosity yeah. i've taught him well i just say like it's like super bright red like they they yes. amp up like the saturation on it which is not what blood looks like when you when you actually bleed at least that's what my victims tell me wow so <laughs> the so that that's what it feels reminiscent of and then it also is not just trying to be this horror film which is using the sleepy hollow story very tangentially like it kind of starts that way and then veers off into something completely different which is i it feels like it's trying to be like a murder mystery yes. like a agatha christie let's go and find out who the real killer is um and like piece it all together like ichabod crane basically turns into poirot for a bit of him going around and trying to figure stuff like out. Like a nervous, anxious Poirot. Yeah, I don't know anything about the Hammer series, but I got a sense a little bit of Sam Raimi. I mean, Sam Raimi uses a lot mm. of uh, extreme camera work, but just the idea sure. of using sort of cartoonish gore. And it's quite shocking at the beginning because you think sure. you're going to cut away and it's like, nah, I'm going to watch it be No, heading. it doesn't, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I, I agree again. with that. I was actually not expecting that from this movie. Sorry, now again, having never seen it, I was like, 
okay, I know what this is going to look like. And then, oh, no, they're actually showing yeah. <laughs> some of this stuff. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And then I don't know if you consider cinematography. It was interesting, you know, in this period drama sense. Although I, I'll do a quick anecdote on another YouTube video I just watched, but how it's uh, decentered except for the blood and you get. And yeah. this may be why it doesn't remind you of uh, your killings because um, you're watching your victim's blood in full color. And this one is sure. set against a near, very desaturated black and white feel. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, that's the thing that I picked up on is like, this is basically the closest like black and white film I've watched. It is not in black and white, right. but it's super desaturated in the in the shadows and the midtones and then when they do have some color that they like ramp up just those color bits yeah. so it's really playing around with that kind of color theory the cinematographer for this movie is emmanuel lubezki who is a very famous cinematographer i believe yeah he's been nominated for a bunch he, he holds the record for winning three academy awards in a row wow. like he won them three years in a row for cinematography and no one else has ever done that before name, so name the movies nerd yeah let's go what are they <laughs> uh it was the revenant birdman and something else oh, i wow. can't remember what the third one was okay i've actually heard but, of but he's very well um and i watched this movie and it opened up like this is beautiful like everything is like pitch perfectly composed like it looks really nice like depth of field is so good it's like it almost didn't feel like a tim burton movie for a bit uh because like oh this is like so beautiful to to, to look at it's like oh because it's lubezki who's doing the cinematography in this movie so there's definitely some elements to this that i really really enjoyed i'm not beautiful enough for you just quickly i watched this youtube video about a photographer named i'm just looking it up right now ishiyuchi miyako anyways i've never heard of her before but just a quick anecdote. If you can find it, watch it. I-S-H-I-U-C-H-I-M-I-Y-A-K-O. I can't remember what the channel is. Fantastic interview. But one of her last projects, she's in her 70s. She was asked to go to Hiroshima or Hiroshima, depending on, I don't know, the correct yeah. name. And she says she didn't want to go because it has been documented so frequently. But finally, she convinced herself to go for one day. And the thing that struck out most for her for her was that everything you watch, uh, everything you see from photography of that era came in black and white. And so she had this expectation that this is a zone of death and destruction and mayhem and everything mm -hmm. would essentially appear to her in black and white. But she created a photo series because when she got there, she realized like all the victim's clothing, all of the remaining pieces and fragments were not just, you know, in life and in color, but they were super beautiful, ornate, and colorful. And so her photo series mm. actually of like um, torn dresses and, uh, you know, like remains of that era, but they're like in this beautiful, you know, blues and reds and greens. It's interesting how we associate color and black and white with different concepts of yeah life. In yeah. this case, red is blood, death, and murder. But uh, we also presume that a black and white desaturate is a very old yeah, archaic. Yeah, and I think I play around with it. I also think it depends on your age a little bit. I, re I recall reading essays by Roger Ebert, and what he mentioned about black and white is that, yes, it's an older style of filmmaking, but there's two things that happen when something is shot in black and white. Weirdly, it feels more real because that's what all the old uh, documentary footage like from the war and stuff was brought back in was black and white. And so in, in, internally you, you use like black and white as being like, this is a documentary of what is being shown here right now. But also 
that generation who grew up with black and white films also, this is, and this is wild, dreamt in black and white. Uh, they've done studies on this. So like we, at least I, dream in color, but the, my parents and people older than them actually dream in black and white uh, because of those images that are being shown to them. So it's, it, both is like realistic and dreamlike at the same time. It's this weird juxtaposition that happens when something is filmed in black and white. I feel like I'm in a nightmare right now. It's, it, yeah, I was just going to side comment that I thought I had read that everyone dreams in black and white, but uh, maybe to- Just dogs. <laughs> to your uh, point. And then that thing about dreaming language, but there's no language in it. But you know, I, I have no idea how anyone corroborates that because I don't, I, even when I have my most fearful or vivid dreams, I can't actually uh, explain them very well in the morning. I get fragments right. because they're probably fragments. Apparently, uh, you probably know this. Men are more likely to be colorblind by a genetic trait, mm. and women generally are not. And so Disney, for example, apparently used only female colorists when making the original animated films because women oh, could understand the color better. So I think that's fascinating, and it may hearken in a patriarchal sense why you know we may lean to black and white because you get contrast, but you don't have to interpret color data. Whereas, yes, uh, right, right, right. You know, if you ever watch a color wheel or an explanation well, of tones, it, it, Yeah, it's why in, in Psycho... The blood that circles the drain is chocolate syrup because he wanted it to stand out more, right? Well, but we interpret this like, oh, that's blood that's going down the drain. I was going to ask, not. is that the correct viscosity of blood? I mean, you seem to know a lot about uh, blood. It <laughs> uh, depends on, on what the temperature is outside, but I mean, <laughs> it's pretty close. I've murdered someone in the snow and it was quite different. Now, um, the other thing that was interesting just to this point is, have you watched Mad Max, whatever... Fury, Fury, Road. Fury Road, the Chrome Edition. Not the Chrome Edition, no. I've only seen the color version. I watched it in black and white and it was fucking incredible. And I think <laughs> it was a completely different experience than what I remember. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, narratively, of course, the same movie, but yeah, there's something interesting there that we will need someone smarter than us to uh, sure, to, open up. to delve into. Yeah. By the way, just so we don't get like super far away from it, I had to look it up. The third movie that Lubezki won an Oscar for was Gravity. So, oh, well. Gravity, Birdman, The Revenant, all th in three successive years. I was, seriously, waiting with bated breath. Those are, those, I haven't watched Gravity, believe it or not, but uh, Revenant and uh, Birdman are incredible. I am the weirdo who loves Gravity, but I can't imagine that holds up watching on a small screen the very first time. Uh, you kind of need to see that on a huge screen. It's on my, my list on Netflix, but we'll see. I can't wait for Gravity 2. Electric Boogaloo. Um, anyway, so let's do some background here, and then we'll get into some spoilers for Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow was released on November 19th, 1999. The other major release that came out is a movie that we've already talked about. It's The World Is Not Enough, directed by Michael Apted, written by Neil Purvis and Robert Wade and Bruce Bierstein, starring Pierce Brosnan, Sophie Marceau, and Robert Carlyle. So if you want to hear our thoughts on that film, you can go back and listen to our our episode on that. I can give you my thoughts now, if you like. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they, they weren't good ones. Uh, double, o, double O, oh no. <laughs> it is currently rated 7.3 on IMDb, 65 on Metacritic, and then over on Rotten Tomatoes, per 121 critics, it is at 69%, and 607,041 users give it an 80%. So there is a bit of a divide between general movie-going public and the critics here, although both of them have it rated as fresh. You can buy this on DVD or Blu-ray. You can also buy or rent it on iTunes, and you can also rent it on Google Play or YouTube. Its budget was $100 million. What? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was $100 million, this movie, which kind of blows my mind. <laughs> uh, it's probably all the period costumes and stuff that they had sure. to go film in is what I'm guessing. you think they'd have leftover stuff from making other period movies? That's... No, brand new every single time. It opened to $30 million, would domestically go on to make 101. Internationally, it would pick up an additional $105 million, bringing its total box office take to 206. So I would say that a pretty modest success. That is $321 million with inflation. Its plot description from IMDb is... Ichabod Crane is sent to Sleepy Hollow to investigate the decapitations of three people with the culprit being the legendary apparition, the Headless Horseman. I am so turned on right now. It stars, of course, Johnny Depp as Ichabod Crane, Christina Ricci as Katrina Van Tassel, Christopher Walken as Hessian Horseman, or Hessian Horseman, who knows, Miranda Richardson as Lady Van Tassel. Anything you want to say about those actors? Just quickly, you know what I realized is... um... Which character actor, I can't remember his name now, was in um, Ravenous. And they should have just yes, brought the costumes from Ravenous. From Ravenous yeah. Yeah. I mean, could have saved probably 50 million bucks there. You know, presuming I actually did the research for this on time, uh, because that's what we want. The one thing that I did find, which I think is interesting, is uh, of course I spent all my time on Johnny Depp. Uh, without getting too much into gossip, Amber Heard, I think um, the fascinating part is I always had this knowledge he was like a musician that came to LA and didn't necessarily mm. want to be an actor but I had learned that apparently got an acting because he was uh, became friends with your favorite actor Nick Cage oh really yeah. oh that's so funny so his, why have they have they done a movie together I don't know actually I didn't look I that up but apparently um Johnny Depp became uh, involved with the bassist sister and they got married and she turned out to be friends with Nick Cage and when they started hanging out Nick Cage was like hey you should act man and then <laughs> he auditioned and he started uh, getting roles. I mean, he's a, a beautiful man. So uh, he hit it yeah. pretty big right off the bat. There, there is a theory out there that every like super famous actor actually wanted to be a musician and every super famous musician actually wanted to be an actor. There definitely has to be <laughs> a lot of weird. crossover because the yeah. fundamental thing is yeah. they want to be seen, Kyle. They need yes, to be that's seen. right. I find Johnny Depp's career to be pretty fascinating because... Now it's so hard. Like, if you only know Johnny Depp from basically Pirates and then to present day, there was a time where Johnny Depp legitimately was considered box office poison. Like, he was, like, this artsy guy who was in, like, auteur films and would, like, do these, like, great performances and none of them would make money. <laughs> and then a couple times he was tried to bring in to, like, helm, like, a big movie and they all flopped. Uh, this kind of being the exception to the rule. So it's just like this Tim Burton loved him and like other people that worked with him loved him. So they kind of just kept casting him, even though if it was probably up to producers, they would have been like, uh, let's not because this guy cannot open a movie. And so there's those things like Benny and June and of movie. course, like Edward Scissorhands and uh, what's what's eating Gilbert Grape, like all these other films. Like, like that's how I know Johnny Depp originally because yeah, we're and, old. Pirates was the outlier to me. I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, he's doing this thing, and it's a huge Disney movie. And then that's kind of, and unfortunately, my opinion, so asterisk, 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 uh, feel has kind of ruined him until present day, because that's kind of all he does anymore, is basically variations on Jack Sparrow. Although, 
you know, I had this thought in my head that uh, this movie and a few of his others, I mean, there he does, he has done quite a variety of roles. I feel like these are all precursors, like this could be the origin of Jack Sparrow. There, sure. There's something yeah, about yeah. this performance that actually connects to what he builds into, yeah, his now daily persona. The only other counterpoint to that is I watched him on YouTube and some interview show, I don't know, Jimmy Kimmel or whatever. And uh, he's like Keanu, he just comes in, he's like a nice, shy guy, and he, he yeah. isn't Jack Sparrow, and he's like just talking to people, and it's quite jarring. Just wants to be by himself and, yeah. you know, cover himself in neckerchiefs. I, of course, know Christina Ricci for being in things like Casper and uh, Adam's Family. <laughs> like, that's basically my two points of reference for Christina Ricci. Well, she still looks the same as she did when she was 13, so. I also think that crediting Christopher Walken as the Headless Horseman is like, yeah, absolutely, he's, <laughs> he is. But I do not think that's actually him when he's in, like, the headless hey, it's, form he's, of the Headless it's Horseman. It's hard to tell. It's Christopher Walken. I mean, he can I dance know. on walls, literally. So uh, <laughs> I kind of wanted him to break out with his stupid sharp teeth and like to start doing like a dance break. I think it would have been great. Start writing your fanfic. I don't think he even says anything in this movie. I'm pretty sure there no, is no line of dialogue. No, yeah, a lot of but. weird groaning. I mean, his face was enough. Yeah, I can't unsee it. Weirdly enough, Christopher Walken, I first knew about because of his hosting gigs on Saturday Night Live. Mm. Like, that's kind of my first point of reference. And then only knew that he was doing movies like afterwards. <laughs> that that's what that's what he did. I thought he was just a weird guy who came and did the Continental on <laughs> Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the first movie I watched him in. I don't remember. Like I watched Deer Hunter probably 15 years ago. I had no idea right. how good that movie or weird or you know. Yeah. I, I don't know if it holds up. It's a very weird movie, actually. It's also three. Oh, another over three hour long movie. Anyways, uh, he's it was great. There's a lot of moments in this. Uh, this cast is like a who's who of character actors. It's great. You just, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Palpatine's in this movie. It's the strangest <laughs> thing. Yeah. Well, every, almost every British actor that was in the Harry Potter series is also in this movie. So it's like a weird. Of course, that's where you uh, go. Harry Potter. Thing that you could go like go side by side. It's like, oh, that's Dumbledore. And like, that's Mr. Dursley. And then wow. that, that's that guy. So no, I didn't yeah. get that at all. I wanted to delve more into like the history of this movie at some point because m there must be some story on on how this was written because the credited team is that it's, the story is by Kevin Yeager and Andrew Kevin Walker written by Andrew Kevin Walker based on the short story The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving. Why I say that that's weird is that Kevin Yeager who has that story by credit it has this and a Tales from the Crypt episode. This is his only writing credits, but he has a much more deeper resume in makeup and special effects. Mm. That is what he does. So he worked on a bunch of the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels, and I will give a huge shout out to Nightmare on Elm Street 3, which has probably some of the best uh, special effects and makeup stuff, Just at least in horror films. Quickly, did you know that was Johnny Depp's first role, Nightmare on Elm Street? Well, on the, fir on the first, yeah. yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street sure. number one. I didn't yeah, know that because yeah. I don't watch those movies but i wonder if he brought him over somehow oh this gets the curiouser web. and curiouser but he was also the makeup artist on every bill and ted movie including the latest one hmm. so he still works um so but i would say that his probably biggest claim to fame in the makeup department comes from face off because how do you make Nicholas Cage. Nick Dude, Cage. This is crazy. Look, I know. How do you get Nick Cage to also look like John Travolta and John Travolta to look like Nick Cage? Like that is some amazing makeup you know, that he did. It's almost like you have to take his face off. I know. Right? 
I know. This is all Nick Cage all the way down here, apparently. This also, actually, this is even going to get weirder with Nick Cage here, I just realized, because Andrew Kevin Walker had already written Seven, the movie Seven, but we've also seen his work already because he wrote the movie 8mm. Huh. Um, and he'd write a few other films. The last one, or one of the last ones being The Wolfman from 2010, the uh, Benicio Del Toro remake. It's fascinating to think that Nick Cage might be the Illuminati. We keep thinking of Tom Cruise and Scientology. <laughs> yeah, it's actually Nick Cage who's pulling all the strings here. It's possible. It's possible. I'm not going to rule it out. I'm not going to rule it out. I don't trust those Coppolas. He's probably uh, in your machine. <laughs> we'll have maybe to that. dig in there. Yeah, he might be in there. Please stop besmirching our Lord and Savior, Nick Gage. Can you imagine that? It's open up and it's full of bees, bees. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, this, of course, was directed by Tim Burton. We've already talked about him a little bit, but like his first full-length feature was Pee-wee's Big Adventure, but he'd also done by this point Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, and Ed Wood had come out a, t- a couple years beforehand. I am also one of the very few people who loves Mars Attacks. But I, I'm I'm waiting to stake my flag in that opinion. Like you said, like this was kind of his downfall. I gr- agree because I feel like he came almost a parody of himself after this Big because fish. he did the planet. That was the yeah. one I remember. The, Big Fish is probably the the lone like great movie that people yeah. will refer to because people like love it. that movie. All right, keep going, sir. But there's Planet Planet of the Apes remake, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Alice in Wonderland, Dark Shadows, Big Eyes, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, and the live action Dumbo that came out last year. Awful. Yeah. So those are not a great string of films uh, to to put under your name. Uh, and of course, up next is Beetlejuice Two. No. Oh yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. thing. That is a thing that has been announced. Are they yes. bringing the original cast? They're bringing Keaton back. Can ghosts age? I guess you just don't need the makeup. No, that's cruel. There's no way that's going to be good. Like, let's let's just be. I will put this out that. there. I know at least one person who will pay twenty bucks to rent it. Kyle Marshall. I also watch it. I watch Bloodline. Okay, yeah. I, I spent twenty dollars on you Bloodline. Paid Bloodline is it Bloodline or Bloodshot? No, sorry, Bloodshot. Yeah. I pay, I paid twenty dollars for Bloodshot. Of course, I'm going to pay twenty dollars. Uh, reunion. You're dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, just quickly, I, this doesn't have to be on. Did you actually pay money for King of Staten Island? I eventually did, yes. Oh, but I waited until I could rent it for $7 and rather than pay $20. Was it worth it? It looks terrible. Mm, it wasn't really even worth the $7, yeah. to be honest with You're you. You're welcome, Kyle. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, keep thanks. going. A digression. That's, that's everything. I mean, I don't know if we have to say much more than that. I think, again, Tim Burton is known for the aesthetic that he provides. And I think that even when he was making what I consider good films, there were still those detractors who thought he was more style over substance, which I don't know. Maybe maybe that's true, but I just like the, the style so much that I didn't really much care. He's like cartoon goth. There's, I mean, he looks yeah, the part yeah. too. I mean, I, I don't know what he looks he, like now. He basically but... single-handedly made hot topic a thing <laughs> yeah. he's an interesting he's an interesting guy let's let's rip open the wound yeah i don't, I don't know, know how this <laughs> how to frame let's that slice it i guess let's what, slice it apart let's let's start with this what elements worked for you johnny depp's great in it in the sense that you know i loved how he depicts being cowardly and bold mm. it's a fascinating tension between the two because he is pushing back against the system at the beginning but he's petrified but it's like also of like super fight of fighters yeah. and like blood and yeah and also it was very reminiscent there is this one sketch that 
continually cracks me up with uh, uh, Stephen Colbert and Steve Carell, the waiters who are going to throw up at everything oh, that they talk about. I have seen that, yeah. <laughs> I love my my theory, and this actually is true if you ever watched the movie Game Night as well, which That's I'm also a, a big movie, fan of, yeah. is that almost throwing up is funnier than throwing up. Yeah, of course. Throwing up is disgusting. <laughs> it's hard to watch. Right. But almost like her, <laughs> her, like almost like throwing up is so funny to me. I'm almost throwing up right now. It's funny. It's like yawning. There's an element where you uh, will dry heave when you see a dry heave, but there's also an element where you will laugh depending on how it's depicted. The other thing that I liked, I think we alluded to it, is um, it kept me engaged because I thought it was going to be, you know, a conspiracy murder mystery. They do a lot of that intentional misdirection, like when he arrives in the town and all the the elders are like looking at mm -hmm. each other in a cartoonish side-eyed way and almost like, right, <gasps> you know, yeah. it's almost Saturday Night Live. And then by the end, I was like, holy fuck, like there are ghosts, there are witches, uh, people are dying. This is getting uh, into like proper horror movie cartoonish and mm -hmm. com comedic but yeah it was quite jarring i think the sam raimi comparison is actually really good because much like his most famous stuff there is absolutely horrific things that are meant to be horrific and then a joke a couple scenes later to Just kind of like you keep you engaged yeah. they pull me back and be like okay okay this is okay and then it's like okay now we can scare you again yeah you know, and speaking of Kubrick, I mean, all these little nuances, like having the twins in the forest and like, you know, even right. using the reds. And um, so there are these tones where you associate automatically with uh, cinematic horror movies, not like slasher flicks or something, but the gore is quite, it's quite not off. I mean, it is off-putting at the beginning. The first time they're decapitated and it's actually like right in your face. Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, this is... I, I didn't even remember. I thought this was a kid's movie, and it is not. You should not let your kids watch this movie. <laughs> should not, yeah. Yeah, I didn't like this, but it was weird how he tries so hard to juxtapose uh, Ichabod Crane's memories of his witch mother and his sort of tension of becoming a scientist. Um, in the end, it works, but like all attempts to do this, it is quite hard to contextualize at the beginning. So that almost made me... Not quit the movie, but uh, turn me off. I don't even know how necessary those flashbacks really are. That could not be coming up more naturally, either through dialogue or through action or something like that. Because I, I really just don't think that they are additive all that much. The this this kind of goes into like my major criticism because just like you, the, as far as the positives positives go, I think yes, Johnny Depp in the central role really does carry this movie. Because, and I hate to say it, I don't think Christina Ricci was cast well in this movie. No. I don't think she actually does a good job. And I know she can. So that means to me that she was either miscast or Tim Burton asked her to do a weird performance that doesn't it's really fit. It's a weird fit. character. It's hard to... It's a weird... And I think it's, I mean, I think it's underwritten is basically the, the main problem yeah. with it. But so we have this cool central character. They are adding a lot to the original story. Like, give, A, just giving him backstory, but also like... Now he's like a constable and he's like investigating a murder and like all this other like overt paranormal stuff that they added in. What I was hoping is is what it looked like it was going to do is like, okay, we have this paranormal story that's going to form the backbone. But the middle portion is going to be basically like your Agatha Christie parlor room whodunit and we're going to find out. Unfortunately for me, I think the middle portion is like the worst part of the movie. It drags um, and it does a lot of telling instead of showing there's two scenes in particular one where they go to the blood tree 
And I thought that was like sufficiently creepy. I like I actually really liked the meeting with like the old witch character. And then they go to the grave and he's like, oh, well, someone's still in his head, which obviously means that we have to return his head back to his grave because that will reverse the curve. Like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, how do you know all of this stuff just off the cuff? Uh, so they do that to like basically like fast Quick forward through plot elements. But then you get like a couple scenes later and he's like, hmm, let me scatter plot on my on my journal. It's like last name. I'll write this like murderer question mark. Oh, man, who what could be? And like it's like the most boring way that you could show this type of stuff. And then they go and then he just automatically confesses like, no, like I want that like Columbo or like an actual like uh, Poirot type of thing where he gets everyone together and then starts explaining how things are happening. And then the murder confesses. I thought that would have been a cool thing to reveal in the midpoint and then finish off with the headless horseman being like your ultimate bad guy. It was a slog for me to get through that that middle portion. I think to your point, they had to probably make a decision whether they wanted all of the people to die. The answer is always yes. Or for them, the elders to be separate from the killings. And they decided that the elders all had to be involved in this plot for the general mm-hmm. story to make sense. But then you actually have a zombie ghost monster. So they can't be around for that last sit around. Cause I thought too, at the beginning, cause they set it up as a sit around when they go into the chamber and everybody's side eyeing each other. And yeah. so I thought this is where it's going to go. And it's going to turn out that, um, you know, somebody's wearing a mask and they're faking the deaths. And in the end, it'll turn out to be murder on the Orient Express, but it turns out that there's actually a ghost. So, um, that was great. You know, what is also a missed, opportunity is they set up this great thing where he's inventing his own scientific tools and they completely fucking drop it and it would have been cool to have made that part of his you know his ability to beat the ghost and the witch if somehow like even in the fight scene in the uh in the mill if he had some kind of contraption in each of the moments to propel him through the fear but about halfway through the movie they just you never see another weird. Yeah, this is not important anymore. Yeah. 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 So I, I think those are misses. It is still a compelling movie. I, I watched it all the way through the end. I wasn't upset that I saw it. It might have been the stylized well, thing. And that that's the the frustrating part of this is that I really I, I enjoyed the movie overall because I think it's yes the the charisma maybe of Johnny Depp to to a certain degree. I actually do think that the the setup is great. Like I loved how we start off like we see this decapitation so that we set the scene of like hey this is the kind of movie you're in for like (laughs) you know that you're gonna see some gore and then right after that you get like that kind of funny scene with uh, johnny depp being like maybe we shouldn't just like burn people yeah Yeah. (laughs) you know so it's like okay so there's also gonna be comedy and then sent off onto his journey i love the the credit sequence honestly of him just walking through like moody woods and stuff like that i also love to see christopher lee which I'll, by the way, shout out back to the 1950s Hammer Horror series because he was Dracula in all mm. of those movies. And th- that's the sort of reference that probably we can insinuate Tim Burton might have been aware of. Oh, he would 100% <laughs> have known that, yes. Uh, it's also why like so many people wanted to use Christopher Lee later on in his life just because you know he was <laughs> such a big Lee. part of yeah. those people. Um, because it, uh, uh, Peter Jackson was big into horror films, like so he would have known Christopher Lee from that. Sam Raimi, of course, like Tim Burton. Uh, so like the setup is good. I actually even like the the climax of this movie. I actually had a lot of fun with them like fighting and all that too. kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, no comment on that. And 
Uh, yeah, it's just so much that this gets bogged down in all this other extraneous stuff. Um, I even like some of the 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 uh, symbology or the, that they were bringing up, like the caged bird metaphor, the cardinal. Um, I actually liked the kind of head fake that it's the mother and not the daughter that's actually causing everything because it makes it look like it's the Christina Ricci character who's going to be the ultimate person who's pulling the strings, but it's not. So I think all of those things worked for me. I, I that whole church scene I actually thought was actually really well done too. Yes. Of the spear through the heart and, and pulling him out. But it's crazy. Him figuring out, oh, he can't come through the church. Okay, so let's calm down, let's figure this out, and then all bedlam breaks loose. So all that stuff is so well done. And I think Tim Burton is doing a fine job. It's like just wish they could clean up the mess that is the investigation portion. I think this is the split at the beginning you mentioned between critics and users. You know, if you just sit down and watch this, then at the end, you're like, oh, you know, that they had a lot of uh, great things that happen. But if you're uh, jerks like us and you start analyzing it, you're like, oh, well, yeah. why did they do this? And uh, this part kind of, right. yeah. So it's interesting. Like, like I, I could foresee myself just watching this in the future just because like, yeah, this it's fine. Like it's a fine sit. <laughs> to watch this movie, just have it else to do wash over you. Yeah. I have nothing over. T- it's not super long. It's not like let's go watch. I don't know, Lawrence of Arabia. That's four hours. Mm-hmm. Like it's not going to be that type of experience. Um, what do you think? Did you see this in 1999 or was it later than that? Definitely none. I mean, I don't know. I don't think I watched it in the theaters. It's possible I did. I know that I would have watched it a lot. I suspect I may have even owned it because I've seen this movie more than once. Um, I was a big Tim Burton and Johnny Depp fan. I loved Ed Wood. I loved, you know, of course, Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands are part of the formative experience of being a child in the 90s and 80s. So, um, you know, I definitely would have watched it. I don't remember if I watched it in a theater per se. Yeah. And I, I remember that it was popular, but people who would watch Tim Burton movies really liked this movie. And um, mm-hmm. I don't remember hearing a lot of negative or critical things. Yeah, it's interesting that I have never seen this movie in the intervening years. Like, yeah. I always thought that somehow it would have like been at a, a watch party or one of the Halloween parties or something that I've gone to in the past, but somehow it just has never, never popped it's up. Not quite camp enough for like a party. Maybe that might that might be actually true. It actually might isn't campy enough. The way that Edward Scissorhands actually absolutely is right. <laughs> in the best possible ways. Like it is, I think, trying to be more scary than it is trying to be lovable. I actually do think, though, had I seen this in 1999, that I would have loved it. Oh, yeah. And that I think that that nostalgia would have carried through to present day. And I would have been much more like, yeah, like these things don't work, but still, it's really fun. Now, looking at this as an, uh, as an adult, for the first time, I'm, I'm more like, oh, there's a lot of things that don't work, but I still kind of like it. Like, it's just coming at it from a different angle. I'm just trying to imagine, like, if I had watched, you know, like the series, like we talked about, of all the weird Johnny Depp movies, which I would have, I mean, we brought up when we were watching um, the Jim Jar, uh, Ghost Dog, and Dead Man came up, which I had watched, mm. uh, which is weird, because how would I watch that? That was n- definitely not in theaters. If it was, it was like one night. Uh, <laughs> that was not a critical, I mean, a commercial success. So I've watched the series of Johnny Depp movies. I've watched all the D- Tim Burton movies. You need to get out more. And I'm just trying to think, like, I would have probably automatically rubber stamped this thing as a four or five star movie at the time. It's hard to keep a critical eye in fandom. Uh, you know, it's almost yeah. like talking to somebody about the MCU and uh, they've watched <laughs> all of them and love them. Whatever <laughs> could you mean, Dave? Uh 
Yeah, I agree with you. Like looking back at it now, now that we're wiser and we have such a breadth of experience. Um, now that we're like professional movie critics, we kind of have we to uh, look at this from call. ultimate angles. We, do, yeah. we, we are professionals. <laughs> do we? Ooh, you know, we're rolling. I, I don't know about you, but uh, I like rolling in my bed of cash every night. <laughs> uh, speaking of climax. Uh, no, I am... Um, I'm just trying to think what else there is about this movie. It's it's weird when we do these genre-specific films. There's not a lot of wider conceptual discussion, is there? It's like people die. No, I, mean, I, yeah. I, I, I don't think this is striving for any like huge point. I just think, again, it's it's fun. Um, I think with this is going to sound way more negative than I mean it to be. But when we think of genre, so like science fiction, horror, fantasy, I don't think it, that they cannot have deeper resonant meanings there have been absolutely examples of that happening but i think that more so the fans of that genre myself included want a really well-told story mm. they want like those those stakes to be put into there we want to have like those setups and payoffs and i think that's what you're kind of pointing out it's like oh we're giving all these setups like with his gadgetry with his uh, being scared of things they don't really get paid off no. and i think that's why this movie feels a little bit lesser than it's like oh, i just want a little bit more because there hasn't been like this uh finale or this um resolution to these things that you put up here and so it's like i love the setup love the setup and then it kind of just flatlines yeah. until the end i think that's the thing in the end uh, like bring up the science you know they do try really hard to counterpoint rationality and spiritualism or in this case w w i don't know wiccanism wicca uh you know which witchcraft by the end, as we're swelling into this, you know, spiritual realm where there's actually a ghost and, and the horror elements become very vivid, it is, yeah, you're left a little bit stranded because um, I like the idea personally um, of, you know, faith is a weird word just because of the Christian rhetoric, but this idea that um, the unknown is not only plausible, but an important part of the human experience. So, like, movies are a great mm -hmm. example. Like, uh, with the except was why most people don't pay for documentaries when you need an element of the unknown where you can take something on faith and then kind of disconnect particularly these days from fucking twitter or whatever it is that's telling you mm -hmm. the reality of the world burning in this movie and maybe there's a tim burton thing it just goes so far off the deep end by the end that i lost my grounding and i felt a little bit uh yeah this way you get the sense of waste opportunities if you're gonna go that way don't put in the science stuff. I mean, he could just be, <laughs> right? Like, a Well, I also think too that there's this weird subtext through this that it's the turn of the century, yeah, right? It they, takes place in 1799 rather than 1999. That was a good party year. And whether that they're trying to show off like, hey, all this bad stuff has happened in the late 90s, but it's a new century and it's going to be a new us and it's going to be a new you sort of thing. I, um, I don't know if that really feels earned no. by the end of it to be honest well, I, I feel like it's just like they kind of rush this into production almost to be like let's capitalize on it be 1999 and the turn of the century i think that that's exactly why i really dislike the last scene i think like walking oh, it, walking into yeah, london yeah. or wherever and everybody every, like we just killed the ghost but let's uh let's go get a condo we'll get a flat with this adopted kid and you know i'm gonna marry this let's witch. become consumers yeah this witch looks like she's 13 but i'm gonna marry her and you know, we're great. Everything's, you know, it's just, it was such a weird, you got to have some, some downtime. Maybe you've just killed a witch and a ghost and they went into the hell tree. Like you don't just move into an urban area, right? Like, you know, your wife's a witch. I mean, you got to stay in the cottage a little bit and 
just mourn, yeah, right? Decompress a, a little bit, bit yeah. grieving. You know, she did get upset when her dad died and it was over. She was like, yeah, fuck off. Let's move on. It's, but that, that might be an interesting uh, retrospective assessment of the mindset of Americans in the late 90s where it's like, yeah, YTK is coming. You know, the thing's going to be shit, but we're going to be fine. We're going to walk off into a sunset and, you know, everything's going to be good. We'll walk it off. Yeah, It'll be fine. Walk it off. We're done here. All right. So the machine has asked us to wrap it up. We ask this question every so often, Dave. Do you think that this movie is still culturally relevant in any foreseeable way? Culturally, no. I, I think that, like kind of we brought up, there's a reason why it's not viewed today. And I think it missed the camp mark and it missed the horror mark. So it got stuck somewhere in the middle. So I, I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine somebody getting excited. It's like halfway between that hell dimension and reality. It's like in the tree with its arms sticking yeah, out. Yeah, there's like a it's... movie purgatory gets stuck in. Yeah, so I'm trying to imagine like, does a 19-year-old nudge the next guy and be like, oh, I got a copy of Sleepy Hollow. We have to win. I, I don't know. And Tim Burton's kind yeah, of destroyed so. his own legacy with just a lot of really kind of middling movies. So nobody's excited yeah. about, you know, the name anymore, I don't think. And Johnny Depp's... Uh, Jack Sparrow. I mean, if you want to pitch this as a Jack Sparrow origin story, I think a lot more people would watch it, but they would be disappointed because mm-hmm. uh, as funny as that idea is to me, uh, they have nothing to do with each other. So yeah, I don't think it's culturally yeah. re- relevant anymore. I, I, I think that most people would be fine never having even heard of this movie. <laughs> is, that, is that cruel? I, I don't know. No, I think, you're, I think you're right. I think even in the pantheon of Tim Burton movies, you're still always going to have like that Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands uh maybe ed wood although i don't know how that's for us much that movie gets yeah, watched else that's for us nerds it. but it's like definitely those two big hits are like what propels batman him still to be talked about batman yeah, yeah the original batman yeah. but yeah i don't see this movie like in 20 more years if we reconvened here in whether that be oh, 2039 we'll, we'll be here robot jesus save us all unless the machine kills us yeah in 20 yeah in 2039 jesus. are people going to be talking about sleepy hollow at all no i don't think so Let's, uh, we're still going to be doing this podcast when you're 16. Uh, why don't we get into ratings? You can find our entire list of movies that we've talked about this season over on our Letterboxd page, letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. You can find the whole thing. KDVSTM is also our social media handle for both Instagram and Twitter. You can see all the stuff that gets posted over there. So out of five, Dave, how would you rate this film? I think I'm going to go with a 2.5. I'm only going to add the 2.5 because I didn't leave upset, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of things that, like we talked about, I don't, I don't think people need to watch this movie anymore, So, uh, but I'll be nice just because Johnny Depp's great to look at and he was good in it. Mm-hmm. I'll give it a 2.5 overall. I am going to be slightly more positive than you. I'm giving this a 3. Some of those elements that I said that I enjoyed, I really do enjoy, so... Will I end up watching this movie again? Probably, but it's definitely not going to be on like, I have to watch this movie again on those lists. This gives us a very hard job to do here now, Dave, because that has tied with six other films. Perfect. Home stretch, so, baby. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the average is up to 2.75. Of course, we will be rounding down to 2.5 because uh, we don't round up here. But so I'll go from the top to the bottom. Tarzan. Notting Hill, South Park, Mystery Men, She's All That, Ravenous. So those are from top to bottom how we have them rated. Would you put it above all of those at the end, somewhere in the middle? Uh, my my uh, instinct was put at the end. I, 
I might put it above Ravenous, but I don't think I would go higher personally. Unlike you, I'm not I'm sure if I'd watch so this, this again. Is, yeah. Well, here's the thing. I, I'm going to push back maybe a little bit with this, and this is going to go against some of my ratings for those movies, but I'm just looking at those as a collection of films. And so if I go from the bottom, like I do like Ravenous actually quite a bit more, but uh, I would probably say that it's definitely better than She's All That. Um, I personally think this is better than Mystery Man. I guess it just depends on do you want to put it above South Park, which I know you would. So I, I think I think personally that it should go kind of in the middle here between above South Park, but underneath Notting Hill. You know, I'd be willing to put it underneath South Park just to appease okay. your ego uh, for that <laughs> piece of crap. Uh, <laughs> well, then let's do that then. Let's put it underneath South Park, but above Mystery Man. So that means... So entering our list at the number 26 position is Sleepy Hollow. We've watched a lot of uh, movies, Kyle. <laughs> well, 40 of them now, yeah. yeah. And only a few more weeks of this year to go. <laughs> and then who knows what will happen Come season two. If there is okay. an apocalypse. Season. If there is one, yeah. who knows? I don't want to, I don't know. I don't want to promise something that we can't keep. Your life is a series of broken promises. So let's see what we're going to be reviewing here next week. I'm just going to push this button. Oh, okay. We're sticking with the horror theme here. I guess we are in October here. Uh, you might want to get a air sickness bag, Dave, because we are going to be watching the Blair Witch Project oh, next week. Gross. What do you think about the Blair Witch Project? Speaking of dry heaving, I uh, I've never watched it. I uh, what? No way. Yep, had no interest in this... it then. Have no interest in it now. And as you know, uh, it seems to be what inspired Paul Greengrass to uh, shake his sure. camera. So uh, I'm not looking forward to this. I don't know if this has happened before yet. Has there been a movie that I've seen that you haven't seen? Uh, I think this might be a first Notting for Hill? our show. No, I hadn't seen Notting oh, Hill before. Uh... Apparently, I've watched a lot of movies in my life, Kyle. Apparently. <laughs> All absolute shit, but you have seen a lot of movies. Oh, uh, South Park. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're right. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. We can't, we can't give the crown to Blair Witch Project. South Park was a movie I had seen. Aiden okay, Leader? Dave, can you, can you help me uh, put this head back on? Just. Uh, Ow. Okay. Ow. Why did you sharpen ah. its teeth? I mean, it needs to eat. <laughs> Okay, counterclockwise. Turn it counterclockwise, counterclockwise. That's Lefty Lucy? Wait, 666 which... times, Dave. 666 That's times. That's not a good number. I never know what you're talking about.